0: Should we jump into the show, or do you want to preamble, figure out what we're doing?
1: Uh, We can preamble or jump into the show or include it all. I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, Getting my wits again. It's been a long day. How's your (laughs) day?
0: Oh, pretty good. Um, Happy birthday, man. You got your birthday coming up tomorrow?
1: I I do tomorrow. uh, Be a ripe old uh, 28. (laughs) About time to settle into retirement, I think. I think so. Yeah, uh, I don't know, not much to say about it. Uh, this time last year, I was uh, partying in Portland, uh, hanging out at a, a arcade and, and having a great time. What so, arcade
0: were you at? Um, I, I know of Ground Control pretty yep, well.
1: That's the one. That's the that, one? That was a Ground Control.
0: So Ground Control is a fucking awesome, like, 90s arcade. It's like you walk right into the 90s. You have, like, mm-hmm. uh, Street Fighter Alpha 3 and shit on there. You have, like, the old Simpsons arcade, Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. All the schmucks. I, I love that arcade.
1: It's great. The whole upstairs is just like an endless rack of uh, pinball machines to choose from.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's that whole pinball section. Um, a lot of really great stuff. I've gone down there to like Portland Retro and seen like some of those machines just isolated on free play. Um I love an old arcade.
1: No, it's a, it's a great place. And that was such a great time last year having all my uh, friends come. We just spent like... I don't know, like a couple hundred and quarters or something and just hang out there the whole night.
0: This year, it feels like everything's um, notched down a little bit. I I feel like we all just have to have, like, gratitude that we're still here with everyone that we've all lost the last year. Um, yeah. It, it's a hard year.
1: Um, I'm not I'm not sure what all there is to celebrate necessarily. Survival, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so lo- low-key birthday, in contrast, this year. That's okay. I'm hanging out here. Having a good podcast episode, with my my good buddy Calvin.
0: And you've got inauguration week
1: on on yes, your birthday that's, this week. You know what? I changed my mind. this This birthday year is actually better. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is the guest best gift anyone could have gotten me. Uh, just a couple of days after, I got to watch uh, the most malignant man in my lifetime get booted. <laughs>
0: So there, there are good things happening, just not as good as being in uh, ground control, one of the best arcades in the if, world.
1: If so. it could be inauguration day while I was in ground control, then that would probably be the best. But uh, you know, I'll I'll pick this one. I guess if I have to choose between the two, I would I'd rather go with that.
0: I I feel like ground control has like the best aesthetic of an arcade too. It, it just feels like a '90s thing, like all these Japanese imports in there and everything. Mm-hmm.
1: This, this time next year, we'll be broadcasting our podcast episode from Ground Control.
0: God, I hope so. <laughs> we, we should find a special place to do it more publicly once we're uh, freed from our shackles of quarantine. Yeah.
1: We'll, we'll make sure we can post here so all of our fans across the specifically Pacific Northwest area can come join us for an episode, <laughs> a live our, broadcast.
0: Our three followers will join next,
1: us. Next year, we're planning on doing uh, a tour uh, we're, we're going to hit the European markets as well. And, uh, hopefully, you know, the big venues in Australia. Start
0: doing panels at, uh, comic book
1: conventions. Yeah. I On mean, that's our, how... All the Marvel films that we cover. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, we probably should be doing that. Uh, I, I mean, if we wanted to get ahead, I guess that, that, that seems like the logical thing to do, but I prefer this way as well. Just expecting things to happen for us. I think eventually providence is gonna show show its head here and, and come around for us
0: if we wanted to get ahead we would have made a lot of different decisions I think. <laughs> instead we'd rather self-sabotage and cover um old westerns that aren't in the news and uh buster keaton films that are um ageless and still deserve to be discussed but won't get us
1: a panel anywhere um, un- unfortunately uh but that's all right we'll make our own panels that's right <laughs> Um, speaking of panels
0: i've become anime calvin again i've become the <laughs> ambassador of anime on the website once again i've uh it's a flourishing age of anime as i explore anime from 20 years ago um, flcl do you know what this is
1: no i don't know uh what this is um it, it just sounds like an abbreviation of something to me i think it's abbreviated fully coolly i think it's the the name of this
0: yes um flcl is a cult coming of age show it transitions through all kinds of styles of anime and it's almost the hardest thing to describe it's really a foolhardy task to bring it to a podcast because there's almost nothing i could possibly say about it Uh, it's six episodes long so i'm more than halfway through i'm on the fourth episode i've been doing it one each day i just really important cool anime i think it was always shown in blocks on toonami and it worked well in that kind of scale where you'd Mm -hmm. get like one a week and you'd keep coming back for six weeks that's good tv scheduling
1: yeah i don't remember that from toonami at all i mostly remember like the the shonen shows and stuff like your bleaches and uh, and whatnot and but yeah so that one didn't stick out to me but uh i'm glad to see that uh Anime Calvin has uh, reared his head again once every uh, few seasons or so, he pokes his head out. And if he sees his shadow, then we have Anime Calvin for three more weeks.
0: <laughs> three more weeks of anime. <laughs> I have uh, Konnichiwa. I've also seen um, Lupin the Third, the first, uh, another great title from uh, great titling from Japan, I should say, not confusing at all. Because it's not the first Lupin the Third. It's like the 40th one. So.
1: Oh, I see. It's called Lupin the Third, the First. Like the right. first is a subtitle for Lupin the... That's definitely not confusing at all.
0: Maybe it should be Lupin Three, the First. Uh, so, of course, there's like a... What is this, G- a
1: Rambo movie?
0: Well, there's like the Ghibli <laughs> one that happened before. This one's more channeling Indiana Jones, very literally. Um, I mean, if you want that to happen in animation, that's good. But worth highlighting because japan hasn't made the smoothest transition to a computer animated stuff this might be one of the better looking ones um and we have the ghibli coming in a few weeks which uh early word on the street not not very good the earwig and the witch or whatever that one is um that's by uh that's that's by goro um so his films in their collection not always the best
1: ones Mm -hmm. but uh there's definitely a plot like a plasticine quality to the characters looking at like the photos from this this one the year film you're talking yeah it looks like like it could be watching toy story
0: yeah like it's like a very primitive toy story but the way it animates it doesn't connect the way that toy story does like the abstraction doesn't work the way that it would like with the doll it doesn't aesthetically make as much sense um Mm -hmm. not as legible um and Japan's always flourished, of course, with more hand-drawn and even computer-drawn stuff, but uh, not in 3D so much. So hopefully Lupin's the start of something new.
1: Yeah, well, I guess we'll uh, see. Uh, we'll check back in with uh, Anime Calvin next week <laughs> to see what's going on. Everything Lupin... in the... Uh, everything Otaku, all your Otaku needs here.
0: <laughs> Lupin was always, like, the forefather anyway of, like, the even, like, the hand-drawn anime. Like, it was, like, the one of the founding fathers of that movement. So uh, it would be cool if it became one for 3d, but I, I think that'll at least make two more of these. It'd be fun to see. It's fine.
1: Yeah. So, uh, did you watch anything else this week?
0: Um, did you want to check in? You you watched an animation. Sure. sure. I'll check in.
1: Uh, yeah, I did watch an animation. Uh, uh, a little bit more better American 3D for this one. I uh, finally got around to the Adventures of Tintin,
0: uh, the Steven Spielberg one, and and then yes. you've uh, you've picked up the whole collection there. On no, TV, no, or just the uh, first one.
1: I just grabbed the first season because I was like, oh, they did an animated show in the 90s as well. I love 90s animated shows, as you know from our Animaniacs episode. Uh, and I was like, the first season was like ten bucks. You know, I was like, yeah, I'll blow 10 bucks on this just to see. And uh, I watched the first two episodes, which were uh, it was, it was like the, the crab one. Uh, is, I think his name was. It. it's part of what the movie is based on as well. Okay. From, like the movie is based on like a couple of different Tintin books. And so uh, in the TV series, each one's like an adaptation of it. And it's done in two parts. And I'm not sure if it's just because I just watched the movie like the day before, or if because I just wasn't generally vibing with it. But uh, like I I wasn't digging the style of the show as much. It definitely felt more like Bog standard '90s animated adventure show.
0: Bog standard like Coco.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like it, it was. It's it's a fine show. Like I don't have any like problem with it but it just didn't stand out to me too much like you know very familiar kind of like plot beats and stuff and and that and i didn't like the like the performances felt like very kids you know centric like they're very aimed at children particularly and so uh i it it didn't click with me as much but it also might just be that like the 90s shows that i do like have stuck out purely because of nostalgia so like (laughs) coming to coming to something that i didn't have an inherent level with already might be like uh, you know a difference
0: but i think uh, there's there's levels of those shows too i don't yeah. feel like Tintin tin was always like on the on the the peak of that that movement anyway
1: yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm still going to give it a shot. I, sure. You know, there's still more on the disc to, to go through. I just watched the first two and I'm like, uh, I want to do something else with my time now. <laughs> and but so you,
0: the Spielberg one you, you greatly enjoyed. Yes, seeing.
1: yes. The Spielberg one was was really fantastic and had a great energy to it. Uh, you know, I liked the characters there. I was really taken by them, which is why I decided to look into the show as well, particularly Jamie Bell as Tintin. It is really great. Uh, I loved it because it, it surprised me as well. In in his is way of a kind of a throwback to old kind of eighties Spielberg stuff. Uh, yeah. In in the sense that there's like a real threat that feels like a real danger to a lot of the situations, particularly like Tintin, who is. Uh, a child of some age somewhere like from early to late teens like maybe he's an adult but maybe not yeah uh he he's like shooting at people at different points throughout the film like this is a, a kid's animated film and he's wielding a gun <laughs> that's <Sure>. that's novel <laughs> you don't feel see like, that
0: yeah i feel like between like lupin and tintin we have like a good double bill recommendation here of like throwbacks <laughs> to uh, lucas and spielberg styles of 80s films
1: yeah and you definitely get the spielberg sense of adventure throughout the adventures of tintin um sometimes to an indulgent degree and i think that's where like all of my complaints with the film came from is like the field of animation like really opened the door for spielberg to do any and everything and he does any yeah. and everything
0: <laughs> i feel like and- he's able to capture some of that like amblin magic too I mean,
1: Absolutely. It's like, it's definitely the most amblin adventure film, action film that I've seen in, in quite some time. Uh, and, and the fact that it came, you know, like in the past decade here is pretty mm-hmm. fantastic, particularly from Spielberg, like because anything else he's done in recent times has been largely underwhelming if not outright bad
0: yeah he's had a muted late career it a little bit staggered right now it's a little bit weird to have this year-long wait uh of all projects
1: oh, between now and west you know, side story i totally forgot the west side story was supposed to happen last year <laughs> yeah um, probably for the best, because I'm not looking forward to
0: that. <laughs> I don't think any of us are anymore with everything that's come out. and We're
1: that. we're covering that, by the way, when we get here, not Spielberg's film. Like yeah. we'll do a podcast episode on West Side Story, like the, the West Side Story. Once yeah. we, uh, once the new one comes around, finally.
0: I'm sure I'll bring a verdict for the new one, but I, I won't blame you if you just skip it entirely. So.
1: I mean, I'm, I might see it out of morbid curiosity. Maybe it's uh, great. <laughs> yeah. It may be. <laughs>
0: the odds seem so staggeringly low. Um Spielberg, I don't know. I like the post okay, especially right now. I think the post is pretty okay.
1: Sure, but if like that's the metric you're going with, like you can't say that our idols have fallen, you know, considerably. <laughs>
0: sure. Um I guess I never put Spielberg on like a director pedestal or anything. I, I thought he had, he made some really fun movies. Uh his 80s stuff really surpassed what he what else he could do though. Yeah.
1: The thing is with Spielberg is that Spielberg is is like a, a pioneer of this very specific kind of adventure film and he excels at it like nobody else does. Yeah. But he's stopped doing that for a long time now. And and again like, like others from that period like you know all of those great 70s directors bar Scorsese
0: yeah
1: are really bad now
0: <laughs> scorsese is one of the few that made it out unhinged um everyone else had a really bad late 80s and 90s so um i mean yeah. spielberg of course we have like schindler's list so, i mean there there were spots where yeah, he came he damn. came
1: back in the 90s and such uh and then he you know he had ai which people like and i dig minority report and catch me if you can he did both of those in 2002 and those are terrific films yeah
0: minority port report still a lot of fun um but nothing really i mean what what's he done lately uh i i can't name anything right now um ready player one was that him
1: yeah yeah that was Jesus. sadly awful. yeah so he's fallen yeah, we, that, quite a ways i guess th- this is also a good point you you weren't here for this but uh we we found out after you disappeared from a little bit of a trivia night that we did that uh spielberg's worst Rated film on Rotten Tomatoes is Hook. Hook of all his yes. films, that's the one. Yes, Hook. Hook is the lowest rated films uh, on Rotten Tomatoes from Steven Spielberg, which is an atrocity. <laughs> Not because Hook is some masterpiece; it's uh, definitely flawed. and has lots of, lots of issues to it but it still has the Spielberg whimsy and sense of adventure that makes it an enjoyable watch. Uh, unlike a lot of other shit that he has uh, produced, particularly ready player one, which is a a garbage film that <laughs> uh, from, from every angle, <laughs>
0: I feel like we're just looking mostly at like the last Indiana Jones and ready player one as his real down spots. Like we still have Munich recently, which, Still very creative in its shots, yeah. and
1: I, I would not call Munich recently. Munich is more than fifteen years old. Is it really? Yes.
0: Well, <laughs> since the nineties, we've had other ones like Munich and The Terminal.
1: I'm awfully fond of. Uh, I would I would rewatch The Terminal. Uh, I remember enjoying it, but a long time ago. And I'm I'm also pretty predisposed to like most thing Tom Tom Hanks are in. Yeah, I just I I like Tom Hanks, and so. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. Like, like if we're talking like recent, recently from Spielberg, it's like, uh, you know, uh, prior Lincoln, to any Player One in the post. Yeah, the BFG Bridge of Spies is okay. Yeah, uh, War, I love War, Lincoln, Horse. but
0: that's like one performance. So.
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs>
1: it's definitely not uh the the same as he he was even you know 20 years ago or whatever uh i didn't mean to make this a whole spielberg retrospective here but uh (laughs) obviously there's there's plenty of room for us to talk about him here he's a i I think an interesting filmmaker to discuss since he is so prolific
0: should i put the blasters on some new films should i just like go through some new bullshit that's that's out there that yeah. I've kind of just been avoiding reviewing, and I don't really want to write about. Should we do that? Yeah, let's
1: let's get it out here. It's time okay. to to bring on the the Thunderdome
0: because it is January, and I it, we'd be remiss without mentioning some of the real bullshit that's existing right now.
1: Yes, that's right, folks. It's January again, when all the shit films get rolled out for us to absorb. <laughs>
0: I'll start with one that I had some optimism for, or like a mild optimism, which is John Lee Hancock's The Little Things. Um, Just a detective story with Denzel, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Uh, Leto does basically what he does in every movie. Malek is really horrible. Denzel gets like two moments that are worthwhile, but this is from the director of The Founder at The Blind Side. Uh, a lot of average films, and I'm not quite sure what the what the high ceiling was for this. Maybe like a six, but uh, I, I feel like it falls well below that. Um, we have two lockdown films that we haven't really covered yet. Uh, I kind of want to go on, in on those the most. Um, one is called Locked Down. <laughs> lockdown is just kind of recreating what everyone's going through, all their feelings about lockdown. But it's a Doug Lyman film, so... I figured, you know, you have like Edge of Tomorrow, the Born movies. Um there there must have been something there. Uh, there's there's really nothing. Uh there's Songbird, which is the COVID twenty-three movie. Uh the the one that's pissed me off oh. the most.
1: Oh, I remember hearing about this that sounded like like a genuinely <laughs> like uh the most ill conceived and inconsiderate film <laughs> of like, like you could yes. think of.
0: <laughs> I feel like because everyone's out there dying right now, we probably don't need to make a Michael Bay movie out of quarantining. And it is like a Michael Bay thriller down to the letter. I forget the director here, but uh, his, his n- name not is very Adam good.
1: Mason. And uh, his his oeuvre here does not look a- at all very uh, promising.
0: Uh, do you do some projects for Hulu? Maybe, uh, maybe he was part of a. Some smaller projects, but this this shows no intention or no promise at all in my opinion
1: yeah it it looks uh quite bad, and I'm disappointed at all the people who who were involved <laughs> in this here. <laughs>
0: it's a disappointment all around and it's it's so fucking um it's very offensive i think to to make an inter- entertainment out of this so soon. Uh, maybe wait a few years let's get past it and then then we could start making movies but these two are really on my shit list out of all of these
1: you you think it's a genuinely offensive
0: i think it's genuinely i think it's genuinely a horrible idea and atrocious taste to make something like this um (laughs) i i don't know if it's worse but we have the david bowie biopic stardust Um,
1: oh right i want i wanted to hear about i wanted you to write a review about this because i wanted you to uh to really eviscerate it in in text there there's just so little to say
0: um johnny i I feel
1: like you you feel like i could go in on it i mean i i I think there's something there Maybe, maybe i haven't seen it so i can't
0: it's done against the wishes of the family. So that's offensive to begin with, uh, but that should allow for more honesty. Instead, what they make is a road movie where he sits on like a tour with his uh, brother, um, uh, Mark Maron's in it. He, of course he, he lost his spouse the last year. So I'm not going to be like harsh on him, but, um, everyone else that's in here, really terrible performances. Um, he plays covers of a few songs cause they, they don't have rights to any Bowie tunes. Um, <laughs>
1: So so, just... so that's the funny thing i think we should highlight yeah. that that this is this is a film made expressly without consent of the david bowie estate and so they have no rights to use any of his musics it's it's a david bowie musical biopic without any david bowie songs
0: awkwardly they try to go the bohemian rhapsody route which only works because of the music and that is only working because it's pantomime um there's nothing here that works in that same way, uh, even even at a very basic level. At least that movie filled theaters and was a crowd pleaser. Uh, this doesn't please anyone, I don't think, um, let alone Bowie's family being opposed to it. I can't imagine his fans being less opposed than that. Maybe there is a review, but I I was just so shocked by the quality here that uh, I I haven't seen a worse biopic of a, a musician than this.
1: That's that's pretty incredible. I remember back when we talked about like Rocket Man or, or yeah. around when Bohemian Rhapsody came out, we talked about the idea of a David Bowie biopic because yes. that would be pretty pretty interesting. He's an interesting figure. He led a crazy life with lots of ups and downs. But the problem is, and the reason why a biopic about him is never really going to work is because uh, the the film industry is inevitably going to want to censor his his yeah. life, which was controversial and you know full of um you know eccentricities and uh, uh indulgences in all sorts of uh, different activities and uh illegal things you know and uh, reprehensible things mm-hmm. as well like you know uh, as much as we all love david bowie he was not the most admirable figure at not all always, stages no. of his life uh, now,
0: this this only charts the part between um the Man who sold the world and um the Ziggy Stardust phase, so it's kind of not even in either phase, it's kind of an in between phase of Bowie where he's kind of just down and out and kind of boring and on drugs. Um, I know Dexter Fletcher, Rocket Man director, said he wanted to make a David Bowie movie, but I, like you say, I don't think there's any good way for that to materialize. So.
1: Well, even in like uh, if, if we take Rocket Man as an example, as well, like David Bowie's trajectory is even more like reprehensible or, or controversial than that was like the fact that you know like i mean like the big thing everyone brings up with david bowie is that you know he would sleep with 14 year old girls you know very consistently which uh you know to to overlook in a in a biographic film like this and just you know make it like pray you know like heaps of praise on him is uh disingenuous uh yeah and so, yeah, I, I don't think that's something you would want to skip over, but uh, a Hollywood movie certainly right. would.
0: I mean, do you want do you want to skip the fourteen year old girls and the fascism, or do you do you just want to highlight this like one week <laughs> of his career in a car? I mean, I don't think this is it either. Uh, even without that, uh, they could have made anything with this because they didn't have any anyone saying no, right? Like they they didn't have those what, what, ties. So.
1: What you would have to do is you would have to go full surrealist with it and like really like try and do some kind of artistic interpretation of of his life and render it in a in a bizarre but you know like totally characteristic way of his art and uh i don't think anyone is bold enough to do that
0: this one starts like it's going to be like 2001 space odyssey ish like he's in he's in the helmet and the astronaut gear and then it cuts away from that and it's never that again predictable that's, uh, yeah. that's super
1: predictable too you got to go like full Andy Warhol movie yeah, with I agree. This shit.
0: I, I think Dexter Fletcher could make it a musical and could make it very interesting at least but I think he's the only one I would trust to do it anyway so
1: right but also uh, I'd like to see something else from him like yeah. he's just that just basically be Rocket Man 2 yeah. which you know while I'm sure we would both <laughs> enjoy uh you know let's let's let the guy stretch his wings
0: I mean he's already made like Sunshine on Leith and Rocket Man, so maybe something out of left field would be more interesting than about a western yeah (laughs) a a western musical I'd, i'd watch it
1: remake paint your wagon you cowards
0: and instead just use um a holograph of david bowie a holograph should should we get into our our feature here
1: i think so i'm uh very excited you agreed to do this one at my suggestion uh we we've only talked about one silent comic uh when we did our safety last podcast we decreed that uh harold lloyd was the official silent comic of the twin geeks cast i don't think we made that uh,
0: particular decision no we did have we
1: We we did uh, we did on air we specified that right as we were signing off we said he was the official, but uh, I'm I'm willing to to amend it to include Buster Keaton in that group, and then when we get around to Chaplin maybe we'll include him as well.
0: (laughs) Um, We're making very difficult decisions, including Chaplin and Keaton in the canon of comedy here. Yeah, Uh, uh, it's groundbreaking work, David.
1: potentially controversial to uh, bring in these uh, these silent comics here uh, obscure silent comics at that that uh, nobody's heard of
0: we did discover them um, off the boutique label criterion
1: yeah Uh, they they graciously finally released a beautiful new restoration of the cameraman uh, in the middle of uh, last year
0: do You want to explain that cover. It's so aesthetically striking. I I feel like we should try to paint an image of it in some way sure. if we can.
1: It's going to be it's going to be really hard, but it's done yeah. in in a uh, fantastic uh, I would call it uh, a art, art deco style, would not you say? Or is it more of a kind of uh, It's not really cubism, but It's
0: like half cube half like cubist, but like black and white, right? Like it's Yeah. It's not using the colors to imply the shapes here, but I Yeah,
1: it's- I it's very in line with a lot of like the more kind of expressive and older, uh, advertising they do with Buster Keaton, where they, uh, would capture his very kind of unique facial quality in these, uh, more, uh, you know, uh, Kind of esoteric uh, renditions of his uh, portrait here, and you get that sense of his, uh, you know, his long face. You know, the the very stoic sense of him. The fact that it is done in this blocky style gives credence to that that uh, nickname that they gave him, the old uh, stone face, mm-hmm. as as Keaton was often called. And and I and I love the image of it. It's done in like a kind of uh, sketch styling, uh, is how I would describe the uh, the actual uh, technique in terms of uh, coloring it and whatnot. And of course, it's uh, based off of a famous promotional image of him where he's uh, uh, kind of flopped onto the floor with his uh, old-time camera there with him, and he's wrapped up in all the film of it, kind of giving this quizzical look. And he has his uh, monkey with him on the front of this picture. Which, yeah, the monkey
0: uh, really makes the cover. Just his peeking <laughs> out. He has his little hand planted on him. Uh, the,
1: mo- the monkey makes the movie in so many ways as well. In so many <laughs> I'm ways. Sure I'm sure as we'll say. But yeah, this uh, is a, a fascinating and uh, I think one, uh, really emblematic Keaton film, which is why I'm very happy that we're going to be talking about it as our first Keaton film.
0: I'll suddenly have a little background noise as some trucks have arrived. Yeah. Um...
1: <laughs> That's perfectly all right. I don't hear him too much now. Okay. So, uh I'll let him know. Maybe you'll throw in a couple of horns here so we know that they've arrived.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: So yeah, um this is your first time watching the cameraman, I believe. That's
0: correct. And I've grown to really appreciate uh Keaton as the new um face of silent comedy on the Twin Geeks. I uh, <laughs> I I like that he has deadpan Humor, which connects mostly to what I like in comedy. Um, This, I think, also shows that he's capable of more of that. uh, He's capable of, like, setting the groundwork for, like, MGM comedies and uh, creating something beyond just the stone face of Keaton.
1: Yeah. All right, so Keaton and MGM. Let me try and give you the lowdown. It's a long story, but uh, it's an important and good one. So, uh, after uh, Steamboat Bill Jr., and a couple other keaton films uh, that he had made uh he wasn't doing as well financially so he was looking to move in like he was given an offer by mgm to uh, sign a a contract with them to to make pictures because mgm was looking for a comedian paramount had a comedian with harold lloyd united artists had charlie chaplin uh but mgm needed a comedian and uh they they tried to get buster keaton and uh he was urged by his boss at uh, United Artists, who uh, did the distribution for Keaton's films, uh, Joseph Schenk, uh who was his uh, brother-in-law as well. He was married to his uh, 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 wife, the, the Talmages, And uh, his brother, Nick Shank owned the parent company of MGM, Lowe's. Uh, and he said, he told Keaton that it would basically just be like going, uh, you know, coming home to family. It'd be the same thing. You'd treat him just the same there. Uh, But he didn't. Uh, That's that's not how it uh, it went at all. Uh, In his autobiography, Keaton called the the signing with MGM uh, the worst decision of my life. (laughs) Because it was all downhill for him after there. And you wouldn't get that sense from watching The Cameraman because it's a fantastic film. But that's largely because they gave him more leeway because it was his first outing. Originally, they tried to kind of clamp on him. But uh, he, he kind of pushed back a little bit and said, all right, uh, you know, let, let me try and make it my way. And it also helped that they did a lot of location shooting in New York where they couldn't really micromanage him. But uh, after that, and it was successful, MGM was basically like, look how successful it is under our way of doing things. And he's like, no, no, that, that was mean. He's like, no, no, we made it good look as a successful picture so now you do it our way from now on and uh that's that's kind of how it went from there Keaton did one more silent film called spite marriage uh they didn't let him do as many of the uh kind of fantastic stunts Keaton is known for because uh they were afraid of hurting him so you know he actually had to use stuntmen for once and then uh talkies came and uh it's not that Keaton was reluctant to do talkies, or that he was bad at them. He was actually really excited by the prospects of sound, but uh, MGM, along with just terrible scripts and like ill-suited style to what Keaton wanted to do, they teamed him with someone who comedically was just entirely inverse to his things. He was a very a com- monkey comedian. No, no, not a monkey. He was no. a is a Jimmy Durante was his name, uh, and and he and jimmy did not get along okay buster's Um, life started to fall apart after that he became a big alcoholic he uh he lost custody of his kids he moved into a trailer on the mgm lot (laughs) it was it was a real like downward slide after that uh and uh he he managed to find uh success in like small parts doing some shorts and things outside of it uh, he, he was a comedy writer for uh the marx brothers as well at one point he did a lot of tv so he, he ended his life pretty happy but he lost his uh artistic control uh you know when signing with mgm so the cameraman we can really claim is like the last truly great film that he got to make uh of, of his in his own style the film feels like it's constantly at play
0: with like the idea of control and of course of a guy having to go out and shoot for company um for like the initial shots it's really commenting on what it is to be a cameraman in the first place and um a lot of the running around and uh, setting up your own shots and trying to find your own individualism within a society of chaos where where events just happen and life just happens whether or not you plan it like you can't like plan the events that happen around you and you just pick up what you get.
1: Yeah, it's a another fantastic entry in Keaton reflecting on what it means kind of to be an, an a filmmaker and an artist working in the medium in the same vein as uh, something like Sherlock Jr. he did before, but this one more specifically from the vantage point of the the cameraman and, and how the camera functions as a tool of the filmmaker. Uh, you know, those early gags with him you know looking at the the camera and stuff and then when he first brings back the footage uh and it's a bunch of like weird overlapping stuff and like reversed things like the the ship or the the shot with the battleship coming down the the freeway uh is is pretty hilarious and you see he's got this horrified look as everyone's laughing to show that it it is a bit more complicated than that but also this you know it's an interesting thing like it on the surface it's like an obvious error or mistake but it's also kind of you know experimental and surreal the kind of thing that uh that there is still a kind of artistry in there that uh is eventually found so i think that's a, a an interesting thing to see as well but uh i i also just love the concept of the him being a cameraman cuz it gives him it's such a great prop throughout the film like Keaton wields that camera with such uh hilarity. It's almost as
0: experimental as doing a podcast with the wood chipper outside, putting trees into <laughs> it, uh, which is our next uh, avant-garde experiment for the Twinkies. Uh, in 2021, we're going to experiment with sub frequencies like Nolan and make it <laughs> hard to understand audio. Uh, what I really love is that the camera takes object and precedent in the movie as a character, like uh, it it. Functions very well in its scenes, and it causes a lot of disaster itself. It's constantly going through windows and shit. The, the and it's window getting, gag, like torn apart by bullets.
1: <laughs> the window gag is is a great recurring bit uh, throughout it's so the good. film. It's it's very funny. And and again, like in a perfectly Keaton way, like just when you know, like the gag seems to be getting stale, where he's like, "Ah, yeah. ah not this time." And then the <laughs> woman comes in and just slams it and shatters the glass again. I, <laughs> It's a great. Uh, bit.
0: You get the two before, so you set the expectation that every time he exits the the print building, it's going to go through that window, and then then the and, slam just sells it.
1: Yeah, and that's a very very Keaton thing is that he mm. would want to to out think the audiences is something. Yeah. You say, and so that's a that's a great example of that. Uh, one of the things that I love about the cameraman that's not signature to a lot of Keaton films is that it has a very strong plot to it. Yeah. Most Keaton films are a lot more just like gag centric, and they're not concerned about like the thread there, uh, as opposed to like a Lloyd film or whatever. The romance is really like secondary; and it's not a big thing. But this is all about that, like the yeah. especially like and and I buy it. I buy it really well. There's I these great, too. there's these great soft close ups. Uh, I love some of the camera techniques, like in the very beginning where they have like the ticker tape parade, and yeah. uh, he gets. Bush pushed up against the girl and he kind of like he, he's inhaling her and in like, like just yeah. a, actually like you see that moment where he falls in love with her and I think it's like an entirely convincing bit and it was a great shot very quickly afterwards where like after everyone's kind of evacuated and she's there alone and the camera just pans over and it and it shows Keaton just sitting there watching her as well
0: it's great you get those reactions and those quiet moments too but it has a lot of plot. I mean it's all not camera gags like you get the whole bit with the pool which is in a in a way the most lloyd thing i've seen um keaton do is his bit in the pool with the missing clothes and it's all (laughs) physical gags and showing a that maybe it's questioning his athleticism but then he eventually pulls through we realize that he is like a strong swimmer by the end like we see like this lloydness of like the jock nerd uh who's, who's very funny and physical in his comedy
1: Mm-hmm. The 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 pool bit is such a great one that I think in another film would feel like a distraction, like yeah. it's it's entirely away from the plot. Like at that point, you're you're not concerned. Like he's supposed to be getting footage to try and you know arise to this job of a newsreel cameraman, that but instead he's having story. a stake. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it doesn't. And then there's a whole get before, bit before that as well where he's like doing a fake baseball game like in pantomime, yeah. which again, yeah. like you you it's could great, argue that though. they're distracting, but they are. They're good. Bits and good, but the the pool bit in particular, I think, is one of the most uh hilarious ones because there's lots of little bits. Like there's him getting the clothes mixed up mm-hmm. with the guy behind him in line, and then there's the dude. Like I, I love the changing room scene. Yes, he gets yes. into this, like the, it's, in this... it's
0: long too. That they're stuck in there, it gets uncomfortable <laughs> for the audience.
1: <laughs> it's I, th- I think it's a really like inspired bit to come up with where like this portly guy just kind of storms into keaton's changing room <laughs> and he's like uh i'm changing here and he's like you're gonna you know i'm gonna change you if you don't you know it, shut i love up.
0: that uh, <laughs> neither of them make the other decision they stick with the changing room together <laughs> they go through with it changing clothes uh awkwardly a uh, put it, apart um,
1: incredibly cramped <laughs> and, and it's funny and it goes on like you said for for a good while oh, it's at least two minutes down. of
0: of them stripping down and uncomfortably <laughs> elbowing each other uh my favorite part of the pool though, him stealing the clothes off the, the old lady. Yeah. Uh, that It's just fantastic because it, it gives a solution uh, based on like the, the dress that they're wearing at that that period in time. And uh, if <laughs> he's so funny getting out of the pool and that after all of this was mostly questioning, I think like masculinity and uh, whether he was really fit to be with this girl that the role was so competitive for. Every guy wanted to be with this girl.
1: Yeah, well, and it's got a very great dynamic setup of a kind of love triangle here with a more jockey kind of uh, newsreel cameraman that's uh, pining for her affections as well. There's a good bit at the pool as well where he he kicks him in, in i love that but yeah and and keaton is shown to be this more kind of meek uh gentler emotional kind of character mm-hmm. who wouldn't stand up to to him in, in any other kind of circumstance and he has to prove himself like he, by establishing that dynamic you've given him a, a really great underdog sense and he has to overcome that by you know winning the girl and arising to the artistry of the, the cameraman as well. It really Uh, is
0: the most Lloyd movie I've seen from a non-Lloyd performer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's a, it's it's an interesting and great way of putting it because again, it does have that strong romantic foundation. uh, And and I think that really carries through a lot of the film, but there's so many great, great gags throughout. There's like what, there's the bit with the, I love the recurring bit with the cop, where he <laughs> keeps getting like there's he the hapless keeps cop running into the same cop throughout the film and causing trouble with him. Uh he he's like where he's trying to uh find the fire that he's told about to go yeah. film it and he jumps on the fire truck and the fire truck is actually just headed back to the station. <laughs> well,
0: there's so much confusion because it looks like they're loading him what into like the into the cop car and then suddenly he's on the fire truck and he's faked the cop out. Uh, more great uh tricks with the camera there.
1: hmm Uh, and then, uh, when they're leaving, there's the,
0: okay, go on. We'll get to these parts later. Okay. Well, there's the market, of course. There's the, there's the big war, uh, the big Chinese war.
1: So yeah, that's, that's the thing is that, uh, the film ends with this great, uh, really climactic, um, gang war in Chinatown. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, you could talk about stereotypes there, but there's a lot of them there. Yeah it's such a it's such a tour de force of filmmaking and i didn't notice any like yellow face or anything like that. Uh so it could be worse. It's just seen, like the behavioral stuff that's happening there.
0: That, that yeah, all and, a, and it's, like the It's the not stereotype. just like the dragons coming in, it's that it's that there's a gang war that breaks out in the middle of like this. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's stereotyping, but it's it's also not the worst. But I don't wanna use that as like an excuse either. Uh but again, like like more so I'm mean, I'm arguing for its value because it's such a fantastic sequence and you have these like electrifying events happening all around there's the there's a great bit where he's filming something and then like a stray bullet shoots off like two legs of the the tripod and so then he kind of like he hides out he throws out like the other one so they (laughs) they shoot it out so it it balances right again
0: (laughs) that's the best that he offers up one of the legs for them to shoot because because the bullets are going everywhere else but him there's a
1: there's a great shot where he's on top of like a scaffolding filming something and it collapses out from under him and, it, and he's still filming as it's falling down and it, and then he does a great prat fall at the end of it.
0: It's a really good prat fall and it looks dangerous too, which is the best kind, I it, think. It
1: definitely was. I'm pretty sure he hurt himself doing that one, but uh... he had
0: to have. Um, that's a long fall, but it, it feels exciting and dangerous in the moment too. It feels like bullets are flying every which way, and yeah, I, I never would have expected in all of this movie's runtime, to get a monkey running a machine gun
1: <laughs> yes we're, we're, we're really burying the lead by not talking about this one outright there's a gag where the monkey who who has been trained to crank like the camera yes. itself is instead firing a machine gun by the same method and and killing people in this game <laughs> and, and the monkey gives like a, a great reaction he's like oh whoa, whoa, did I do that <laughs> He, he murdered all these
0: people just out on the street but it's i think the the very best part of all of this is that he gets back to the station and none of this was on the film so right. I, I think after like this huge setup and the most dynamic action-filled scene of the movie it amounted to nothing immediately in the plot which is so great
1: yeah and it's this big like you get the big the big letdown the lowest point yeah. in the story he's he's screwed up his job he's lost the girl you know and everything's low but he he still kind of trucks on and that's where we get to the the kind of the conclusion of the film where he gets the opportunity to save the girl when he's out filming the speedboat chase and yeah, then uh, she
0: shows up on a speedboat with the other guy from the office while, yeah. while he's out filming the boats so. um
1: and and he and the, the guy, the jock guy, abandons her once he takes a fast turn and like he <laughs> sinks her overboard. But but then she thinks that, you know, he saved her when he comes back after Keaton's trying to get some medicine. But fortunately, right. uh he gets vindicated later when they show the footage that he was filming at the speedboat chase that uh you know was was kept kept filming while he went like he swam out in the middle and saved her. Because of course, uh and again, can't stress enough that the the monkey saves the day again by with the
0: most perfect pull-out reveal shot. With just setting up from that machine gun, going <laughs> to the monkey
1: <laughs> saving the day with the camera. Uh, ingenious. Is this the best monkey in film history? I think it is. I I can't think of a better monkey. In any I don't movie. even
0: think he has real competition. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know there, there's the monkey's a... name, by the way.
1: Yes, it... the name of the monkey is Josephine. Josephine okay. also appeared with lloyd in the kid brother a couple years prior and that's another great <laughs> yes. monkey performance another but, uh <laughs> this one he
0: just does some really amazing things and i've thought this in a, a couple of the movies with keaton and animals it's weird how how controlled and well maintained there there's like a circus aspect to all of this
1: yeah. This one, uh, there's there's less death defying stunts or like oversized gags that you would expect from some Keaton sure, films. Yeah. Like it's not it's not the general. Uh there's a couple, of course, with the big uh, you know, Chinatown climax. But a lot of it's just more like situational, you know, the kind of uh rom com kind of uh, comedy with All of its Keaton flourishes and And, and some absurdities. There's like the great bit where he's trying to get money out of his piggy bank and is like knocking holes in the wall of his apartment. And there's a great bit that's built around a really great camera technique where he's running up and down the stairs trying to reach the phone call. And it's a great, you know, uh, the the camera going up and down the whole way there. And he keeps missing the floor because he's so dejected and thinking of the girl. He goes, like, all the way up to the roof. And then when the phone rings, he runs all the way down into the basement. And
0: really surprisingly shot how it's done from, like, the side. And you get to watch him. uh, Very, like, Wes Anderson technique now. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I knew you were to Wes Anderson with that because it is anderson owes so much to buster keaton by the way if that's not clear
0: it's like his whole like ship in the bottle theory of how to like shoot a film is very keatony in its Mm -hmm. own right
1: definitely let's see just just thinking some of my favorite gags again of course because there's uh you know the 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 drive in the rain is Mm -hmm. very funny it's it's an absurd where he's he's stuck in the the passenger seat the specific name for that seat of these old time cars where it's like it's supposed to be the trunk but they just flip it out yeah and it starts pouring rain and keaton's (laughs) basically drowning well and 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 it's a great setup just because like he's totally like ostracized from it because this guy pulls up in his nice car and and instead of them taking the bus and the girl gets to sit up front and he's stuck in the back (laughs) it's already a great gag outside of the rain
0: I think it lays out pretty clearly like what kind of these that we could do on the podcast that one that's very talkable because it has a plot and characters and a romance plot. I mean, it has subplots, but it also has movie theory in it. Um, There's a lot to do with what a camera does in a movie and uh, even shot cleverly. I mean, there's uh, a few layers here of him commenting on the camera and his own relationship to his own material, which is very interesting within the context of the MGM deal you laid out. So, yeah, like...
1: well and that's the interesting thing as well, because like it's also a meta-commentative aspect yeah. because it's Keaton becoming an MGM cameraman. That's the plot. You could you could also see this as a parallel to him becoming an MGM player mm. in that sense. Uh, you know, because it's very explicit that the, the reason that they pitched this film to him, this idea, is because they saw it as a great cross-promotional opportunity for uh their new investment with William Randolph Hearst's news division. Uh, which they just had signed to deal with. So they said, hey, you know, if we promote Hearst through this, he'll promote us the, the movie through the papers and he'll get more distribution. <laughs> it was a great deal that way. And Keaton was cool with it because he thought it was a, a great idea that he could really come up with a lot of uh, thoughts for. And it really is, I think, uh, an, an inspired thought. It's got the different layerings of the filmmaking techniques, you know, and and like the specific acts of being a filmmaker, I think is captured spectacularly well with uh you know great comedy throughout the the cameraman
0: even like journalism it's about like becoming the story or trying not to become the story (laughs) and chaos like it's very true to like a writer's sense too it's very smart all around
1: and you're really like they do such a great job of putting the odds against him like like keaton does does such a great job making himself uh seem kind of like like bumbling or mm-hmm. ineffective but ultimately triumphant and I think this is one of the best examples where they they make him out to be like really lowly because he starts out as a tin type cameraman which is yeah. these old kind of like dinky photos that were already outdated at, at this point the kind sure, of thing
0: yeah.
1: and so then like rising up to the ranks of an actual like cameraman and and he still has to compete with outdated equipment. That's a great yeah, gag there there's too. There's so many
0: problems with the camera that he experiences this movie.
1: Yeah, and and just seeing the technical aspects of it. And I definitely highly recommend the Criterion release if it, it's a film you really enjoy because it's got lots of great supplements to go along with it. Um, you know, talking about the cameras as well themselves. There's like a whole segment talking about the camera.
0: The camera is really neat and it, it plays in so much. So, I mean, beyond just like the film, not quite working, like getting the leg shot off. I I mean, it it looks good in the movie too. A
1: whole bit early on where he's like, he's trying to carry it around. Like he, he smacks (laughs) the cop in the head. Yeah. And that's like a classic gag, but you know, you've got the camera with it. It, It's, it's such a funny thing. And again, it's like, it's, it's very consistently funny and endearing and uh, engaging again, like the, the fact that it has such a strong plot i think that's the greatest contribution that working at mgm gave to it i think that that aspect improves the film in a way that keaton wouldn't really be capable of otherwise that was not his style as a comedian and the fact that it works is is fantastic And (laughs) and i'm so glad that we have a a version of that even though it never manifested again
0: I mean, it's never boring. Like you're never waiting for someone to talk. You you don't feel any absence of the sound here. So uh...
1: any lulls I think come from where where you're on the date and in the football or or in the in the baseball field. Like yeah. those are the only lulls you could argue. I think in the story, like they're still great bits, and they still work perfectly. Uh, and they're early on enough. That but but it is a little odd, like where I'm like. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be like getting footage? Like, what happened to that?
0: Yeah, it could be like its own short film. The the baseball bit just paying off Keaton's miming ability. It's it's and, great, and that, but it's different.
1: That comes from Keaton's own love. Like Keaton was a huge baseball fanatic. Yeah, and so so seeing that, and you, and, and I think you see that passion come through in that bit. And the, and yeah. the, the whole gag, the setup there is that he's there to film the game. And for for the the Yankees, and yes. uh, they're they're not playing that day. <laughs> he's right. like, oh, well, what do I do?
0: <laughs> so he minds it out himself. It's really really how he plays as a pitcher, how he has the ball appear in his hand, what he does with the the physical aspect of his comedy uh, shows why he's such a great comedian.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great bit in a in a great film, and it's one I I, I dearly love uh again like i I think sometimes it gets a little bit of dissent because it is seen as kind of like the beginning of the end of his career yeah but it really is i think uh such you know like like a great cap on on his work there uh i do if you are interested in seeing the rest of it like spite marriage is still pretty good it's not uh it's not bad like some people say it is but it's not great necessarily either
0: i don't know what other keaton's we'll quite get to but um i, I don't know i i bet we could do a whole podcast on I, sherlock I jr sherlock um,
1: jr the general i'd talk about the navigator for sure uh should i'd even talk about like three ages but that one's okay. definitely a little uh uh that piecemeal it's a uh he he conceived that one as kind of like that was his first feature and it's like in three different parts so
0: I suppose next we have to do a chaplain, just out of obligation.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll maybe we'll do Modern Times or City Lights. Maybe we'll do the Gold Rush. I love the Gold Rush too. I like the Gold Rush. We we could do a lot of them, honestly. I mean, I I'm all here for Silent Comics. (laughs) (laughs) But the cameraman, I'm I'm I was so excited when it came to the Criterion Channel to stream because I was like, this is one where the availability has been difficult to get to make it. to get a hold of it and it was pieced together this restoration was uh, obviously a very big undertaking because the film negative was lost in a fire in the 60s it looks very good so many yeah this is this is a really great copy uh and i was so glad that you enjoyed it uh me so too much I, it's
0: so much fun <laughs> i i love keaton so i happy to explore more of his work too and this just encourages me so
1: yeah so Definitely a great one to watch, and a great uh, introduction to Keaton. Even though you're kind of at the end of his career, there more or less.
0: Yeah, I, I could see this. If someone hasn't seen Keaton, this could be a great first film.
1: Yeah, I would. I would highly recommend it to most anyone.
0: Not everyone, just most, most, most. Age, except Graham. Um,
1: <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to call him out on this.
0: <laughs> He'll never get to the end of this.
1: <laughs>
0: Time to talk shit. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, uh, thanks Calvin for meeting with me again this week. And thanks for the, uh, earlier birthday wishes. Yeah. Happy
0: birthday, man. You want to wrap us up here?
1: Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, mosey on out thanks for tuning in this week make sure as always to check out our website thetwingeeks.com for our latest reviews retrospectives and features you can follow us on twitter as well at the twin geeks and individually at calvin kempf and at david a punch don't forget to check out our sister video game show the daydream cast with pavlos and brogan available on apple Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else podcasts are played Leave a review and rating if you can and uh, we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema my painted tears the cigarette rose ashes to the ground
0: I'd stop and talk to the girls who work this street but I got business farther down like one Thinking
1: of you one day ship comes in
0: from far away ship comes in one hundred days you wait for it and now somewhere ship comes in every day